1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. A little bit of a belated start uh, after the Red Sox game, but you know, thankfully the Red Sox pulled that one out and almost in time. So we are here for you. For uh, we'll still try to go two full hours or as close as we can because we have a great show for you tonight uh, here on Spooky South Coast. We have two hours of paranormal talk and discussion with our very special guest Brian Harnwa of the Atlantic Paranormal Society and the Sci-Fi Channel hit show Ghost Hunters. He'll be joining us in just a little bit to talk about all of his adventures with Taps and in other investigations as well. But before we get into that, now we talked last week with uh, the gang from K as well as the group from NEPA, and we told them about how we went out uh, last Saturday night on our way to the studio, kind of on a whim, and we went to the Ellis Bowl Cemetery, uh, technically in Mattapoisett, I believe, right? Correct. And uh, oh, I should introduce everybody. Matt Costa is here behind the controls, and oh, science hi. advisor Matt Moniz is here as well. And Matt Costa and I went kind of on a lark on our way here, and uh, we brought some minor league equipment, and we captured, we told everybody what we believed to be an EVP, and now we played it for... Derek and Joanne from Capers, we played it for Matt Moniz, and we played it for a whole bunch of people during the course of the week, and most people agree there is something there. They're not all in agreement of what it is, uh, or if it's even anything at all, but so what we have is we actually have the EVP that we'd like to play for everybody. Now, in the interest of you know promoting our own program, because that's what we're here for, uh, we are here as an entertainment program, we want to you know uh, debut it here on Spooky South Coast. And then tomorrow we'd like to release it out to everybody and get it to some other outlets, people that can look at it and, and, and analyze it better than we can. So let me set this up a little bit here. We were walking around the cemetery, and uh, we had a digital recorder going, which actually did not record. It was moving and running. The counter was going. It was actually recording, but when we got back to the truck, there was no file. So that's a little bit strange. And we had an analog recorder that uh, I've, I found out over the course of the week is actually faulty in terms of the uh, speaker. So that's why when we had the playback, we had a lot of junk that we were hearing. I put it in a different tape recorder, and it sounded clearer. And but there's still you know some bumping around. So you'll hear a little bit of bumping around, and then you'll hear me say, "Oh, that was weird." And then you want to listen after that point. So spin that baby, Matt. That was weird. Now, maybe you can throw that on one more time. That was weird. Yeah. There you go. Right at the very end there, you hear what sounds like to us a female voice. Uh, and, of course, there was no female present. It was just Matt and myself. And uh, for those that don't know, this cemetery is located on a very uh, remote area. Um, some people checked in on our message board on SpookySouthCoast.com, and of course, we have the EVP up there for you as well, if you'd like to listen to it there as well. Some people checked in and said, you know, especially NEPA, they said, you know, when, you, when you're in a situation like that, you want to have a video camera with you to document that there was nobody else present, just to cover up any loose ends, but... We are telling you, uh, honestly, anyway, for now, that there was no female present, that that voice did just appear. And so Matt did a little bit of uh, trickery with uh, some audio programs, and he was able to isolate that and slow it down just a little bit so you can kind of make out a little bit better what's being said. 
we, uh, there we go. more slow down so you can hear there is something there and there's been various interpretations so we thought we heard uh, originally I thought it said we're here uh, because I was walking around saying you know is there any spirits out here anybody you know basically just doing what I've seen Brian do on television and so we thought it was an answer to that question um, there had been some other interpretations some people heard um, a yes uh, some people have heard uh, my uh, a repeat of what I said weird that's um, what I hear. Sometimes spirits uh, can be known to mock uh, those asking the questions. And we also heard uh, Matt slowed it down um, a little bit more. And when he was listening to it, I don't, do you have another? You don't have anything more slowed down than that, do you? Uh, the, re- the one where it repeats? Yeah, yeah, just the one where it repeats. Okay, well, you want to try to run that one? All right, let's run that one and, and before I suggest what it is that Matt heard. <laughs> I'll tell people what we heard. Uh, Matt believed that it said, we're dead. So um, if you uh, go to the SpookySouthCoast.com message board, you can listen to it for yourself and try to decide. And uh, and you know how you said that you played it backwards too, Matt? And you you heard a name? Yes. You heard the name Henry. Yes. I did that myself a little bit earlier this afternoon. I played it backwards. and um, I mean, maybe it's because you already put the suggestion in my mind, but I heard it too. So I don't know if that means anything. Uh, but when it's reversed, it sounded to me like a male voice. Mm-hmm. It no longer sounded female. So just a little bit of weirdness. We'll get it out to some EVP specialists. Well, remember I told you a while ago that I had dealt with a woman that had been doing EVPs for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And she said she got her best uh, recordings when she played them backwards. And that's what made us uh, look into the backwards side of things. Also, there's a group, uh, uh, NEP, or NEP VRG, uh, who we met at Keith Johnson's class, who are very into the backwards EVPs. So we're going to try and get it to them and have them analyze it from that end. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see what we find out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit coincidental that, you know, we go out on a whim, our first time really going out and doing this, and we capture something. Uh, and I know it might sound forced to people that are listening to us for the first time, like we're trying too hard or or uh, maybe even fabricating something to make a name for ourselves. But that's not the case. We would not do that because, you know, we really have nothing to gain by doing that. So our show isn't about us. It's about the guests that we're able to bring you. And speaking of which, we are bringing you a very special guest this evening. Uh, he is the uh, one of the ghost hunters on the Sci-Fi Channel. And uh, he is also uh, on MySpace, which is a huge boost that helped us out tonight, uh, getting people to know about the show. So we're going to get a lot of calls from people everywhere that have no idea what we're talking about. So we, uh, we're going to have to bear with them and, and let them ask questions, even if we've already heard them. And so um, you can check him out, myspace.com slash Darth Wheezy, if you want to get in touch with him. And, of course, get in touch with us, SpookySouthCoast.com. We have a live room on there where you can submit questions. We also have our own MySpace that my wife was uh, so gracious to make for us, myspace.com, Spooky South Coast. So uh, let, why don't we bring in Brian Harnwaff. Good evening, Brian. How are you? Hey, how you doing? All right. So uh, now we had promoted that uh, you were going to come into the studio tonight. Yes. And uh, you had a little bit of a non-paranormal accident, so <laughs> you'll join us over the phone. Yeah, yeah. I kind of hurt my back this morning. I... Uh I, helped, I actually uh, helped Jason move a couple boxes, and when I got out of my car, 
to come home. I a couple heard a couple things pop in my back, so I'm just uh, taking it easy tonight because I can barely move <laughs> right now. So, but don't worry, I'll come to the uh, I'll come down and uh, visit you guys very soon. Open invite anytime you want. I appreciate that, man. It really means a lot. I appreciate that. Thank you. And of course, you called Jason to tell him what happened, and he said, "Wow, right?" Oh no, he didn't say "Wow." <laughs> he he knew what happened. I'm like, dude. I'm like, I think it popped out my back. He's like, ah. He was like, that's all right. He goes, you'll, you'll get over it. Yeah, you're young. You know, we're the same age. You're young. You'll get over it. Oh, yeah. It's no big deal. I'm only 29, so. <laughs> so I was like 50 or 60 years old, and I have a little problem with it, but right now I'm all right. All right, well, I don't I don't want to make this uh, too much about us, but did you have a chance to hear that EVP we just played? Yes, I did, actually. That sounded pretty good. Uh, if uh, if you, you, you know you were there, so you know that nobody else had said that, and, uh, you know, we've gotten EVPs like that before where we'll have to take a second guess because it's such a very strong-sounding EVP. And we'll be like, okay, did anybody say that? Um, then we're like, well, we don't think so. And you know, you have to you have to go, you know, second guess it sometimes because it's just a very, it's very, very strong. So I think that if it if it is an EVP man, I, I think that's one of the best I've heard in a long time. Oh. Like maybe maybe uh, Matt Moniz's theory, our science advisor Matt Moniz has this theory that maybe uh, these spirits are targeting us because they want to come on the radio. <laughs> there you go. They want they want to get some uh, some some uh, their fifteen minutes of fame even though they're dead. <laughs> oh, hey, we we, we don't uh, discriminate, you know. Oh, definitely not, definitely not. All right, well, uh, let me throw out the phone numbers if anybody has any questions for Brian. Uh, we already have a whole bunch up on our, our message board on SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll pepper those into the uh, into our discussion over the course of the evening. But if anybody would like to call in, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape. And we already have the phone lines right, lighting up right now, so uh, let's jump right into the questions. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? All right. You have a question for Brian? Uh, yeah. Uh, hi, Brian. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. That's good. Uh, I was just wondering... Uh, how do you prepare yourself for investigations that you wouldn't really know about beforehand? Well, see, the thing is, I the, the whole the whole thing with the show is we we actually know a lot about the investigation before we go on the investigation, which I don't like. Um, I like I I like to go in there blind. I like to go in there blind because uh, I've had a lot of experiences where you go into a house, go into a building. And somebody will say, this room is haunted, and you'll spend the majority of the time in that room, and nothing will happen, and then you come out of there, and like maybe Tango and Donna or somebody will be like, oh, heck's breaking loose over in this other part of the building that didn't, they didn't say it wasn't haunted. And it bothers me like that. What I like to do is, to prepare is, I like to keep an open mind about everything. Uh, you go in there, you don't know, even though the client says it could be this, this, and this, I throw that all out the window because they don't, you know, it could be doing certain things to the client, but it also could do certain things to us that it doesn't do to the client because we're intruding into their into their domain. It's not even the people that live there. So I like to keep an open mind. I like to keep a, uh, you know, just, just go in there with an open mind. Hopefully nothing scares the heck out of me so I don't run out the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we've heard about you running away from investigations before. Oh, yes, yes, the whole dude run incident. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, uh... Uh, we we can get into that a little bit. You don't mind, right? No, not at all. I have no problem with that. I, I was scared. I'll tell you straight out. <laughs> that was in the uh, Eastern State Penitentiary, right? Yes, it was uh, actually. It was in Eastern State Penitentiary. It was in block uh, cell block number four. Uh, what happened was we had just set up all the equipment. The camera guys were actually switching over to their night vision cameras and their uh, their infrared cameras. And Dave, my camera guy, me and Steve's camera guy, wanted to take some personal pictures of the prison. So I was like, "You're not going by yourself." I went with them, and we went down cell block four, and this is actually where the cameras were all set up and everything. 
we head down there, and the, the classic science is something that's going to happen. Uh, back of my hair on the back of my neck stood up. My eyes started watering. I, I mumbled something to myself like I'm like, oh crap, you know. And 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 they was like, what? I'm like, nothing. Go ahead, take a picture. And uh, I, all I said was, jokingly, I said, is there anybody here that'd like to speak with us tonight? And he took the picture, and in the flash, you see this big, huge, like. I say about a six-foot shadow just come walking out of one of the cell block doors, go right across the cell block into another one. And I don't know if it was being unprepared for it. I don't know what it was, but I remember Dave grabbed my shoulder, screamed. I yelled, dude, run. And he actually had about two or three steps ahead of me. He was actually about, I say, two or three seconds ahead of me. And then within 400 feet, I had passed him. <laughs> was like, wow, I just, that's amazing. I didn't want any part of that right then and there because... If it was different, if it was me and Steve, or if it was me and Jason and Grant, whoever, I would have been prepared for it. But I was with somebody that was inexperienced. They ran. I didn't want to stay there. I ran. So, you know, I was scared. You know, you get scared every once in a while. Something, something like this, I think. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> a lot of people do get scared. Get out of there, Charles. You know, I just, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to say it. I got scared. I, I've been scared a few of the times. But that was the one time I actually ran. Um, so, you know, I figured that the one time I run, four million people see it. So, you know, I can't win. <laughs> <laughs> All right, caller. Well, we thank you for joining thank us. You. And and uh, you you said that you're from uh, New York. You... Yeah, I'm from New York. Oh, cool. I was just there a couple of days ago for uh, the Tribeca Film Festival. <laughs> All right. Well, you can spread the word of uh, spooky South Coast down in the Empire State. Definitely. <laughs> thank you very much. All right. Bye, Brian. Bye. See you later. Bye. <laughs> It, it, and it is kind of funny how how just those two little words have kind of caught fire. I mean, there's T-shirts, there's hats. Well, I, I just, as a matter of fact, I, uh, I, I have the prototype hat from Dude Run. Uh, Jason got it about eight months ago. And actually, no, more than that, about nine like Right when I came back uh, from uh, my hiatus, they actually just had the prototype hat. I took it. I've had it ever since. It's, in my, it's actually in my closet right now. Um, I've worn it on the show a few times. And I just got the... the uh, the, the luck of actually uh, seeing my dude run T-shirts today. I had to sign a couple for uh, a couple people. I sent them in, and uh, it's, it's crazy. It really is. It's like you know, I get the catchphrases of the uh, the show, so I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny because I remember seeing earlier in this back nine of season two where you know Steve Gonzalez was uh, giving you some <laughs> crap about wearing the hat. And... Well, I, I set him straight a little bit. I think I was like, I was like, what's your what's your catchphrase? I'm like, oh, I hate spiders. I'm afraid of heights, and he didn't like that too much, but. <laughs> Me and Steve have a great relationship, you know. It's like all these people thinking that he's he's a jerk and he's like, you know, everything's going to his head. It's not true at all. It's just the way they portray us on TV. And, of course, uh, for those that don't know, Steve uh, is actually a New Bedford native. Yes, he is. And so uh, people around here can understand that take-charge kind of attitude. You know, sometimes it can come across a little rough. And Exactly. That's just, in, that's just the New Bedford way. It is. And it's, it's, it's the editing way, too, because I can guarantee you right now, Steve calls me every day. We talk on the phone. We, we text message each other every day. So it's like... It's not like he he thinks I'm his underling, you know, in the tech department because that's not true at all. We just me and him are the dynamic duo, and like I always say, I just make sure he's Robin and I'm Batman, so I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is the strange thing though about what it is that you're doing is, you know, this is what you guys do all the time. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, you know, for certain investigations, there's cameras in your face, and like any you know reality television program, you have to become television characters at the same time. Exactly. Uh, do you find that uh, at times it can be difficult to keep the regular group dynamic when you know that those cameras are in your face? Well, yes and no. Uh, you know, sometimes Jason has to, you know, you know, uh, you know, put his mouth and yell at people because he's the boss. You know, what I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be seen on TV that he's, 
you know, like he is the boss, so you know, he's the one that has to make sure everybody's in line. And you know, Steve's the tech manager, so he has to make sure that you know his tech department's running smoothly. So he's, he he box out orders every once in a while. But me, what you see on, on TV is me. I'm I'm like you know, like the Red Sox had you had a bunch of idiots. I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not an idiot mentally, but I'm just I like fooling around. I like having fun. Well, in in, in this type of work, you need to keep that kind of. Uh looseness to it of course you know especially wait till you see this week's episode i can't tell you really a lot about it but i tell you what i was a happy man after we left that 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 lighthouse so i was like it's like i couldn't you know it's it's so it's so great to have that like style where you you walk up there and it's so tense and you crack a joke and everybody laughs and then they get to see something witness something and everybody laughs again because of the joke i said or joke that steve said it's excuse me it's great to break the, the tension because there's a lot of times where we'll walk into a house with a demonic entity or an evil spirit and it's like moving furniture and throwing things at you and hitting you and sp- scratching you and slapping you. And people are getting scared. And it's good to crack that joke every once in a while because it relieves the tension so much that it makes people more comfortable to, to go into that next room and investigate even more. And a lot of people say, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of critics of taps on, you know, on internet sites and everything, and they of say, course. if you know, if there really was this much activity that you guys face, how come it is that it doesn't manifest while the sci-fi cameras are there? Well, and, it, I mean, that could be a huge barrier for this to happen. I mean, knowing that these sci-fi cameras are there might keep these spirits from being too active. Well, the thing is, we like me and Steve already said, the more people you have in in a room. At one time, the last paranormal activity is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So if me and Steve go into a room before the camera guys happen, something happens. Then the camera guys go in there and nothing happens. It might be because two more of the two other camera guys or the sound guy have actually walked in the room, and it whatever was there was frightened away. Or that it disturbs the energy field too. Exactly. That, now, uh, uh, how many people usually are tailing you while you're on an investigation? Usually, just one. Uh, the sound guy, if he can stand, what he usually does is since he's mic'd, mic'd this up and everything's digital and wireless. He can hear us. If he can hear us from the next room, he'll be in the next room. And usually it's just me and Steve or me and Tango or whoever. Actually, even this year you see me and Jason investigating for the first time. Actually, that'll be one of the last episodes of the year. Um, It's just me and Steve and the camera guy. That's it. And he just follows us through. And um, it might be like like, uh, the director might come in every once in a great while um, and tell us, okay, can you go in here now because we need to investigate in there and there and there too. And we're, we're on a you know we're on a limited time limit anyways you know because mm-hmm. it's twelve hours a day that we can investigate and uh, that's it usually it's just three people in the room and and does the sci-fi crew take its cues more from you know you guys leading the investigation or is it more when they're with you on these investigations you kind of have to play it by their way oh no 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 Jason would never allow that <laughs> <laughs> that's what I figured um, it's uh, they they let us be taps that's that, that that's the one thing we've always wanted when, right when we signed signed for our first season. Jason always said, let taps be taps. Let us do what we do best, because if you let us do what we do best, we'll give you evidence. may not be, you know, all the time. It may not be 80% of the time, but we will get you evidence. And if you don't let us be, and you have to conform to your ways, we're not going to get anything. It's impossible. And so far, at least in the opinion of people that are, you know, uh, intelligent in terms of the paranormal, the casual fan might watch it and say, gee, there's not enough to convince me one way or another. But to people that are, you know, that pay attention to the paranormal and study the paranormal, you've had some very good evidence on the program. Uh, I remember the season finale, well, the, you know, the mid-season finale of season two, they captured uh, an apparition-type heat signature on on a locker. Yeah, the, uh, the whole uh, uh, Arkansas trip. Uh, actually, I came back to the group 
when the, those those episodes are actually airing. So I get to see the, the raw footage before the episode aired. And I tell you what, I, I couldn't debunk it. I couldn't sit there and and figure out why the image was. Even if you look, half of the image is off the locker. It's still there, but it's off the locker. It's supposed to be on. The number two is all heated up. And actually, um, we actually we, the number two is cooled off. If you really want to know the truth, Brian. Really? Yeah. Uh, I thought I thought the red and the uh, the yellow means hot. It, no, it started turning black. If I recall on the video. Well, at one point it actually was yellow and uh, uh, red, though. Yeah, right. you've when only seen was... you've only seen the sci-fi version of what they. See. I think he's talking about the raw footage. Yes. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's a... part of the raw footage, you actually see that the, the, uh, the number, number two is actually heated up somehow. It, it heated up. Yes, it actually it was actually heated up like about uh, ten or fifteen degrees hotter than the room actually was. Which made no sense because we. No, actually, it wouldn't make sense because if, it, like, an entity is drawing energy from the room, the paint is metallic and mm-hmm. uh, metal, as you know, absorbs heat when it has heat being passed through it. Well, the thing is, too, sometimes, but the, the, uh, sometimes, actually, uh, from what uh, what I was going to say, with the um, when you when a, when a spirit draws energy, you usually get cold. Like we actually get a lot of cold spots when the 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 uh, the, 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 the apparition of the spirit, whatever, is actually drawing the energy out. That's why we didn't. I couldn't figure out what it was. It could have even been uh, the only time I've ever seen heat being drawn through is with an evil spirit, a demonic entity. Uh, most of the time, like ninety-nine percent of the time, when it's a regular human spirit or even a residual, it's actually a cold spot. So that's why it really uh, messed with my mind because I couldn't understand why it would be doing that. Well, I, and uh, I've heard some people say that it was a reflection, and it, there's it, no way, no way, there's no way. It, the only time you get a reflection like that is if you're looking through a mirror. Because we've actually, we've actually, we actually tried to do that this year. There was uh, some, a metallic surface that we, me and Steve went through with the thermal, and you can't see our image. And the only time you can actually see our image is if we walk by a mirror. That's it. And it's like there was no way possible that that was a, uh, either Grant or Jason's or even one of the camera guys' uh, images. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, cool. and then uh, on the other side, we welcome your questions for Brian Harnois of Taps and Ghost Hunters. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. 508-291-0500 for Wear Him in the Cape. And uh, we have uh, also on our message board a live chat room that you can discuss the show while it's going on on SpookySouthCoast.com. You can drop some questions in there as well if you uh, can't uh, get on the phone. So we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Copyright infringement at its best <laughs> here on Spooky South Coast. Uh, we are here with our special guest via telephone, Brian Harnois from the Atlantic Paranormal Society and the Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters. If you would like to speak with him, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and of course on our message board, SpookySouthCoast.com. Now, uh, Brian, one of the cases that uh, happened in the first season, one of the investigations was actually right here in the city of New Bedford. Yes, it was. At the Armory. Yes. And uh, for those who remember the episode, or maybe those who haven't seen it, the sound man, Frank, his sound equipment actually came up and hit him in the face. Leveled him. And uh, he was clearly shaken by it. Uh, oh. Think it's, think it's said it took, they said it took him like a half an hour just to be able to get up. Oh, he actually, he actually quit because of it. Oh, did he? You no, know, not right away, but... 
sooner or later he just couldn't handle it anymore. And because that was his uh, his first experience with the paranormal. Well, the whole thing was he never really had an experience before, and he was very he's very skeptical. He was very um, every little thing we caught, like the chair moving at the lighthouse and the apparition in the prison. He was just very um, adamant that it wasn't anything paranormal. And you know, it was like it, it, it was cool though because Frank was a good friend of ours. You know, like we we joke around about it. But the thing that a lot of people don't know is why he got hit. And I have my own personal personal. Uh, no theory about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what used to happen was the OIC used to stand up there, and he'd watch over the basketball court and he'd watch his formations of all his, all his troops doing all their formations and doing their drills. So, and if anybody was fooling around or joking around or, or talking or whatever, they would he, he would call up there and discipline them right on that walkway. Well, what happened was we were having fun because the, the New Bedford Armory was actually closing down, so we were trying on all the different you know on lunch we were trying on all the different like chem suits and everything like that and having a ball with it. <laughs> And uh, what happened was Frank, uh, Dave was actually running to go to get his camera. And Frank, joking around, put his foot out, figuring that Dave would see it. And Dave didn't, and tripped over his leg and went flying. Twenty minutes later, we're up in the, the walkway, and Frank gets leveled. Well, that's what you get for goofing off. That's it. It's like coincidence? I don't think so. No, it doesn't sound like <laughs> no, it. No, and his whole thing was, it's like, I felt bad for him, because three days later, we went to do some pickups. Where you know, like me and Steve will say a line, but they won't catch us, catch us actually saying it on camera. It's like our backs are turned, mm-hmm. so we have to say it again at you know, like an OTF or stuff like that. And uh, he came in there, and he was the sound guy that needed to, to, to mic us up and stuff. And I swear to God, I've never seen more terror in a man's eyes in my life. He was not even—he wasn't five feet away from anybody the whole night. He was making sure that the whole time we were there, that he was close enough to somebody to where. If something happened, he'd be able to get help right away. Well, some people just have different reactions to their first experience with the paranormal. I mean, some people exactly. are like yourself, and, you know, they want to run out into the field and figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. And then some people just want to turn their backs on and forget it ever happened. Exactly. That's what I think Frank wanted to do, because it, it really did scare the uh, bejesus out of him. Cause that was this. Well, see, I, I, nobody even knew what happened, because that was my camera angle. That was actually my camera that caught the, the whole thing. And the only reason I had my camera turned that way is because me, Mike, and Steve were trying to get into the other area, and Jason and Grant were still walking around with the thermal. And so we're like, I turned around to Dave. I said, Dave, the camera guy said, what do you want to do now? And all you hear is, do, 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 do. We, I didn't know what it was until Steve turned around and said, oh, Frank just fell. And I'm like, what the heck is going on, you know? And it just went on from there. It was just the craziest night of my life, one of them at least. All right, well, we have a couple calls here lined up for you. Sure. Uh, let's go to the first one here. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Brian. How you doing? Oh, hey, uh, I just had a question for Brian. Uh, I was just wondering if there was one investigation out of the many you've done that has uh, stood out more than uh, all the others. Actually, there was. Uh, we actually went up to a, uh, this was actually back in about 2000. This was my first uh, demonic entity, evil spirit that I ever dealt with on uh, for TAPS. And uh, we went to this uh, Scohegan, Maine, uh, way up in the, the boonies out there. And it was this 26-room house that was actually, in 1909, built as a one-room shack. And this barn... As bigger than the house was connected to it, and we went up there because the the the, uh, the lady's daughter's uh, infant son was being uh, slapped and scratched by whatever this was. So we went up there and we we started uh, Keith uh, started doing his blessing of the house, and uh, I helped him out. I was actually climbing up into the rafters of the barn and stuff, spraying the holy water while he was praying because you know I wasn't going to have him do that. <laughs> so we actually got done with the whole house except for two rooms, and. Six of us stayed in one room, six of us stayed in the other room. 
We're sitting there, we're waiting, we're waiting, and all of a sudden you hear it come in the room, and it was the most horrifying noise you've ever heard in your life. Just this moaning, groaning, and it wasn't coming from anywhere. It was coming from everywhere at once, and all you smell is like this smell of like burning flesh and garbage like, and crap. Yeah, sulfur kind of. Exactly, and it was just gross, and all of a sudden, boom, it was gone. And I was like, where the heck are you going? And all you hear is like Jay or, or Andy in the other room with the walkie-talkie goes, guys, it's in here. <laughs> so Keith blesses both rooms, gets it all over. Asked for a sign of departure. We go downstairs, and a few of us went downstairs, and Keith was down there with us. And all of a sudden, at 3 o'clock in the, in the morning, the whole kitchen shook like an earthquake. Oh. And of course, 3 o'clock in the morning being the demonic hour. Exactly. And the thing was, none of the rest of the house shook, just the kitchen. The birdcage was sliding across the floor. The refrigerator was coming out from the, the wall. It was really, really creepy. And I'm like, and all of a sudden, it was like that. It was gone. And I was like... I was like, wow, I ain't never messing around with these things again. <laughs> like that was just, it was just something that's always going to stick out in my mind. And the evidence we caught there is just astronomical. I wish we, we could catch something like that for the Ghost Hunter show because that would be astronomically incredible. Yeah, that'd be insane. <laughs> Has there ever been any thought to uh, taking some of the footage and, and EVPs and other evidence you've acquired outside of Ghost Hunters and getting people to sign the releases to, to make a television show out of it? Well, it, it'd be really, really hard because uh, we'd have to, like, see, the thing is, the person that lived in Skohegan no longer lives there mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So a lot of the places we go to, they've, uh, they've moved. Yeah, they move on to get out of it. Exactly, yeah. and it'd be really hard for us to do that. And plus, I don't think we'd actually want to because that would be more like faking than anything else. So, yeah. I, so I was like, we like, yeah, no thanks. You know, I mean, we'd rather go to a house. We'd rather find a house that had mnemonic activity and actually, you know, investigate it then and have the proof that we have, you know, just for the show itself. All right. Well, we thank you for calling in with your question. Thanks a lot, man. Oh, no problem. Have a good one. All right. You too. And uh, now, Brian, that was a different case than the one with the elderly woman that oh, was possessed. Yes. yes, that was. Uh, that was actually three years later. Uh, I remember we took the course with Keith Johnson here at the South Coast Learning, and he showed the video of the of the uh, possession. Well, he, the, the one thing the one thing they didn't they didn't show because we didn't have the camera uh, set up down there over there was I was sick all night. I don't know if Keith told you that I just I didn't feel good all day. Yeah, we saw you going in and out of the house, and he made sure he pointed out that you were ill, and not just scared. Oh so. yeah, no, I was just I just had to get fresh air. I couldn't I couldn't even concentrate on what was going on. And what happened was we went downstairs to bust the, the basement. And Keith uh, bust the basement, got all that stuff done. And when we came back upstairs, uh, Sandra still had the, the camera in her hand, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't next to Marguerite, it wasn't next to the uh, you know next to the chair where she sits and stuff. And she's sitting there. And the key characteristics of a demonic her demonic possessions when she goes into a trance is she takes off her glasses and rubs her eyes. So I'm sitting there in front of her. I'm figuring nothing's going to happen, right? And I don't feel good. I'm like ah, whatever. And I look up, and she's rubbing her eyes, and I notice the glasses in her hands, so I'm like, this ain't good. <laughs> she looks right at me, and the whites of her eyes were black. Her whole eye was black. And all you hear me say, I don't know if, he, if you can hear, I don't know if, he, if he still has the, 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 the footage of hearing me yell for his name, but you hear me get up and go, Keith, Keith, you see Keith, you want to come in here, please? <laughs> like, I didn't know what to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So everybody walked in there, and she started swearing, and speaking in different languages and throwing things, and I was like, "This is just crazy." And I, I didn't feel good, so I didn't know what to do. And Keith kept telling me to go outside and just get some fresh air and come back in. And uh, it was just, and then Keith got to calm down and went on from there. And I was like, oh. "I'm like Keith, you're the man." I'm like, "I could never do anything like that." <laughs> it, it is strange, just the calm that comes over him when oh, he's, he's faced with that type of situation. See, Keith's one of the ones that trained me um, when I first joined the group. Uh, 
Jason didn't go on the first investigation I was on, so he put me, you know, he, he actually put me under the tutelage of uh, Keith. And he taught me everything, a lot about stuff that I didn't know about demonology because I read a lot about it and stuff, but to have it hands-on was the, the best you can do to actually learn about the paranormal. And he taught me a lot of different things. I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen anybody make demons dance like he does, man. He, he blesses a house and they're gone. <laughs> it's like I've never seen that before in my life, you know. And it's like it, just the, the, the calmness that comes over him is like astronomical. It's like people are freaking out and he's like, everything's all right. We'll take care of it. I'm like, how can you be doing that? I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> you know? Well, what? And it's like, and then I've seen him get enraged. I've, I've actually get, seen him get angry at the demon. Really? And, oh, it's, I think it's, he scares me. <laughs> I'm like, he's just raising his voice and screaming at talent to leave. And it does. I'm like, wow. I'm like, oh, wow, this is crazy. I'm like, get a man. <laughs> I'm like, I'll give you props all day, man. One thing I noticed about Marguerite's case when we were watching the evidence in the class is when she originally claims to be channeling the spirit of a, uh, a French-Canadian resident from, from Montreal yes. uh, from decades before, and which is characteristic of a, of a demonic possession. Sometimes when they're in those early stages, they try to fool you into thinking that they're uh, a benign spirit. But exactly. When he asked her where she, where this, uh, I forget his name, but where he was from, he kept saying... Edward. Edward. Yes. And he kept saying he was from uh, Montreal, Montreal. Mm -hmm. And it clicked in my head that usually French-Canadian people from Montreal don't say Montreal, they say Montreal. Yeah, Montreal, yep. So when I heard that, I was like, gee, uh, it was, I left thinking that it was in her head and that it was, um, you know, it was kind of like she was just perpetrating this, uh, this character and that it wasn't real and that, you know, it was her own psychosis and that's why she said Montreal because that's how she would pronounce it. Mm -hmm. But then as I, as I did a little bit more reading and some more research on Keith's site and you find out that, you know, the demons will drop these little hints in there to toy with you. Oh, hold on one second, Mike. Sorry about that. that no, it, it happens all the time on the show. Believe me, whenever we start talking about this stuff, something goes wrong. You know, we were talking to Keith one night, and the phone would drop out, and the computers would fire off commercials. It's, <laughs> we're used to it. We're used to it. Okay, good big sure I don't want to get in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but they do. They, they drop in these little hints almost to mess with you. Of course. And then, and then you know, like what Keith actually got it out of her to tell her he's the father of lies. And the thing is, it, it most likely wasn't the father of lies, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't him, him himself. But it, they, that's what they do. They they like to really, really just mess with your mind and tell you that that they're more powerful than they really are to really scare you. And obviously, you saw Keith. He wasn't buying it. So you know, he was like, whatever. You know, what I mean, like, get out. Well, do you do you bring faith with you as a weapon? Of course, I always do. I, I I'm I'm I have I have uh, a, a big faith in the Catholic religion. Um, I've always I always have. Um, I always believe that, you know, I'm actually doing good work for, you know, for the man upstairs. And, you know, I just, it's just the way I am. I always will have my faith. And even though I don't show it and I won't, like, you know, have the cross out like he does and stuff, you know, every time I go into a, into a haunted house or a supposed haunted house, I say a prayer in my head, you know, just to make sure, and you know, I got the, the man with me so I don't have to worry about anything. And that's just what I do. It's just uh, something I've always have done. And, it, it's gotten me by so far, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to stop doing it now. And and as long as it's protecting you, then you know exactly. you're doing you're doing it right. Exactly. Now, um, one of the uh, the things uh, on last last week's episode of Ghost Hunters, when you were in the the residence, and you were acquiring some 
uh, EVPs mm-hmm. in, in the home, and they brought out, uh, at the end of the show, you guys were reviewing the evidence. Yes. Uh, at the end of that investigation, and you found an EVP of almost like a a whisper mm-hmm. and then an inhuman sort of growl. And it sounded like, we're coming, and it was followed by this inhuman growl. Yep. And then when, when Jason and Grant present this to the homeowner, uh, she, you know, she hears it, and she looks at Grant, and Grant says, well, I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> and well, it immediately struck me. I was like, oh, my God, that's, that sounds so inhuman. Why don't they call Keith? Where's Keith? Well, the thing is, we, we, actually put, we, we actually put the clients in touch with Keith and stuff, and they get a hold of them and stuff like that afterwards. I know Jason and Grant do that. But um, we didn't, well, the thing was, we didn't, I know what Grant was trying to do. He wasn't trying to, he was trying to go in there and not have the, the client be scared. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to go in there and, you got demons and you got to get out. You know, he's, you know, if you do that, she's just going to, like, have a conniption and, like, you know, pass out or something. And we want to make sure that the client is actually very comfortable in her house, even though if there might be something malevolent in the house. Mm-hmm. So if we tell her, don't worry about it, if nothing, well, the reason, one of the reasons Grant did, too, because it hadn't done anything to the, to the family yet. It hadn't uh, hurt them in any way. It showed himself. It showed it, itself to them a couple of times, you know, the black shadows and stuff. But it never really has done anything to where, you know, we have to immediately call on a priest or call on Keith mm-hmm. and get it blessed. And until it does that, which we most likely don't think it will because they've been in the house long enough where if something like that would have happened, you know, it, it, it would have already been done. And, and if it is just in the infestation stages, it, it seems like uh, upon watching it again and thinking about it, I started to think that maybe he was thinking that, you know, if it is just the infestation stage, if she starts to get freaked out about it, it's going to immediately amp things up. Exactly. And even if they run, it's still going to follow them. So the best way to convince her to stay and fight is to convince her that everything's going to be okay. Exactly. And that's, that's the best thing. That is it. That's the best thing to do. The worst thing you can do is run because that's... That's the fear that they, they feed off of. They feed off of that energy. They love it. And if you leave, you don't even, you got a 50-50 chance of it's going to stay or leave with you. And if it leaves with you, you have, to, you have to stand and fight sooner or later. So you might as well just do it the first place you're at and hope for the best, you know? We, uh, we had a guest last week, Derek Bartlett, who runs a group out on Cape Cod. Oh, yes, I've, I've actually met him. He's a super guy, and uh, he is. He's, he is. he's very low-key about the things that happen to him. But he, he mentioned uh, bringing home a, a hitchhiker. Uh, you know, sometimes you go on these investigations and mm-hmm. something follows you home. Yep. Uh, does that happen to you in the past? It actually happened to me once. Um, a little girl followed me home. Um, actually, I remember the case, and I've got Keith as a witness. And um, we, were, we were at this place in Marlboro Mass, Marlboro Mass, and I couldn't. Everybody's catching things. I'm walking through the house, and nothing's happening to me. My camera's not having anything happen to me. You know, they get, they're catching orbs and shadows moving. I'm like... What the heck is going on? I'm like, am I in a slump? I don't understand it. So about two days later, I start hearing this little giggling noise in my room and, like, footsteps. I'm like, I thought it was, because I lived with a, I used to, at the time, I lived with about five different people, and it's a three-floor house, a huge house. And they had a little niece downstairs, so I thought it was her. So one day, and this is no word of a lie, I woke up, and little things had happened at the time, and I saw something in my living room slithering across the floor. And you know when you're, you're in that sleep state, you have to rub your eyes and look. I'm like, I must be dreaming. I looked again, and it was still going across the floor. And the way the door was, it would loop around into my bedroom window. My bedroom uh, was like a big loop. And I was waiting for it to come around the corner. and never did. So this is actually about three weeks later. It was actually the, the, the uh, night we came back from the lighthouse, the first time we went to the lighthouse. And I walk up, and the only, the only way up to my third floor apartment 
is out of the three floors is through a stairwell in the kitchen, and nobody goes up it because it, it, they wouldn't go up because unless I'm there because it's the only way it's my my. There's no other doors other than to get up to my apartment. I just want to warn you, Brian. We're coming up on a news break here. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll keep going after that then. All right. So what we'll do is we'll take a, a quick break for the news. We'll keep everybody in suspense here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right after the news, we're going to do a little segment we call the Week in Weird, where we uh, throw around some of the paranormal stories from across the news wire. We're also going to tell you about uh, an upcoming ghost tour that you can take locally. And, of course, we'll talk more with Brian Harnois from Taps and Ghost Hunters. He wants to hear from you, 996-0500-508-291-0500, or on SpookySouthCoast.com. Click on the message board, send your questions in there. We will get to those questions before the end of the night. So uh, stick around here for more Spooky South Coast in just a little bit. First with local news, talk, and sports. This is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcasting, AM 1420, WBSM. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Time, Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. And in just a few minutes, we'll get back to our special guest, Brian Harnois from TAPS and Ghost Hunters. And, of course, uh, he wants to talk to you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. You can also go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. Click on the message board, sign up for it so that we know who you are, and you can print up a question form there, and we'll read it on the air. We have a, a couple of questions from the website we're going to get to in just a little bit as well. But first, we'd like to do a little segment for you that we like to call... Say with me, guys. Come on. The Week and Weird. I'm trying to make sure that I say it as goofy as possible each week. Still waiting for a callback from the ghost of Vincent Price agent to see if we can get him to record it for us. Now, we're going to do something a little bit special for you for the first story here on The Week and Weird. For those of you who haven't heard, the Charles W. Morgan, which is the last remaining whaling ship uh, that was actually born and raised here in the city of New Bedford, it went on 37 voyages out of New Bedford before it uh, retired to Colonel Green's estate in South Dartmouth and eventually fell into disrepair after Colonel Green's passing, and uh, it was moved to Mystic, Connecticut in 1941 and is now the jewel of the collection at Mystic Seaport. Well... We heard about this over at the Standard Times, you know, where I work, and uh, we decided that we would do a little story on it, and I made some calls, and basically, you know, that this story had gone out all over the world, all different news sources, but nobody was really reporting on the full paranormal aspect of the story. So many people were glossing it over and just saying, hey, check out these wacky people and their ghost hunting equipment. So we decided to get the inside story. Now, it's not going to appear in the Standard Times until Tuesday, but uh, through the special permission I got from the muckamucks over there, we're going to give you a little bit of a preview of what went on. Now, for those who hadn't heard, there were these three distinct groups that had been on the ship 
over the past you know year or so that it experienced a specter of a gentleman working below the decks uh, in 19th century garb with a pipe in his mouth, and he would look at the guests and nod. They submitted these reports to the Rhode Island Paranormal Group, and so the Rhode Island Paranormal Group contacted Mystic Seaport and said, we have all these reports, we'd like to do an investigation. Well, uh, a week ago, last Friday, they went out there with some equipment and did a preliminary investigation. Now, in these other stories, you might have heard that uh, they found enough incidences and evidence to warrant a second return, but uh, we actually found out by talking to uh, Maggie Florio of the Rhode Island Paranormal Group exactly what they found. She's a sensitive, uh, she was going around with some digital still photographs and they brought digital voice recorders hoping to catch some EVPs, uh, but no luck in that end of it. However, Dr. Andrew Laird, who runs the Rhode Island Paranormal Group, he's been in the field for over 20 years, he was using a nat- uh, natural tri-field EMF detector which, uh, for those who are unaware, these are a different type of EMF detector than the Gauss meters you might have bought at the, you know, at the hardware store that you use out in the field yourself. These are, you know, the big deal when it comes to EMF detectors. These eliminate cell towers and inside wiring and all that stuff. As, as Ms. Florio put it to me, if you get something on this, it's paranormal. And they said it was spiking like they had never seen. And also, Dr. Laird, who in 20 years of investigating the paranormal has claimed to have only seen an apparition one previous time actually had an encounter with one on board the ship he went to talk to what he thought was a security guard uh, around the mid-mast area which seemed to be where the highest level of activity was and when he walked over to the mid-mast the security guard was standing there and he talked to him and uh, I believe what Ms. Foyer said was the security guard seemed to ignore him, ignore him. So Dr. Laird took a couple steps toward him, and when he walked behind the midmast, the security guard was gone. So, and, and he feels that it was an apparition. And you know, for somebody that says they've only seen two in 20 years, I'll I, I tend to believe him. And uh, some other incidents that you know you might not have heard, they're actually in the process of a huge three and a half million dollar renovation project on the ship. And as we've talked about before, renovations are what can bring about paranormal activity. As Derek Bartlett is quoted in the story saying, it can open up the beehive. It's stirring up the business of paranormal activity. They're taking out the last 30% of remaining original timber from the Charles W. Morgan and replacing it with live oak they received uh, that was uprooted from Hurricane Katrina. So who knows? Maybe this spirit is in a state of unrest because they're changing the ship. Uh, maybe the spirit is in a state of unrest because he wants to return to the city of New Bedford. Uh, who knows? I mean, the one of the other uh, sensitives in the group, Renee Blaze, she said that uh, she gets the name Gerald as the person who was there. I checked the ship's records as much as I could find, and there was no Gerald that I could see on there. But, you know, maybe when they return in June, they can get a little bit more of the story. And we're going to have both members of the Rhode Island Paranormal Group and uh, representation from Mystic Seaport on the show to talk about this case a little bit more. So, Matt Moniz, why don't you tell us about something happening out in the UK? Okay, this story comes to us from London. Britain Gary McKinnon said he is uh, just an ordinary computer nerd who wanted to find out whether aliens and UFOs exist or not. As the U.S. claims... He's the biggest military computer hacker of all time. Uh, During his two-year quest, McKinnon broke into the computers at the Pentagon, NASA, and the Johnson Space Center, as well as systems used by the U.S. Army, Navy, and Air Force. 
U.S. officials claimed that he caused $700,000 worth of damage and even crippled vital defense systems shortly after the September 11, 2001 attacks on New York and Washington. The unemployed computer programmer is now battling extradition to the United States, where, if found guilty, he faces up to 70 years in jail and fines of up to $1.75 million. His lawyers fear he could even be sent to Guantanamo Bay. He insists his intention was not to cause damage. My main thing was wanting to find out about UFOs and the suppressed technology. I wanted to use computer security tools to find out the stuff that the government wouldn't tell you about. Surprisingly, he found it was easy, despite being only a rank amateur who couldn't even program at the time. Using the hacker name Solo, he discovered that many U.S. top security systems were using an insecure Microsoft Windows program and had no password protection at all. So I got a commercially available off-the-shelf software and used them to scan large military networks. Anything I thought might have a possible link to UFO information, he said. He said he came across a group called the Disclosure Project, which he had expert testimonies from senior figures who said technology obtained from extraterrestrials did exist. Well, we thank Michael Holden of Reuters News Service for that story, and we also thank um, my friend Jim DiArruda from the Standard Times for supplying me with that story. Uh, we He just first heard about Spooky South Coast really last week, and we talked about some of his uh, experiences himself. I told him to call in. We'll see if he does. But uh, we thank him for supplying us with that story. And now Matt Costa has a story for us that comes from the San Diego Times Union. Yes, a, uh, a group of local scientists have uncovered some clues to the source of a mysterious dis- disturbance that rattled San Diego County on the morning of April 4th, shaking windows, doors, and bookcases from coast to the mountains. Now, this is a story that's been raging on our message board. Uh, for those who hadn't heard the story uh, when it broke uh, last week, that apparently it didn't just happen in the San Diego area. There were other areas that reported this loud disturbance, this loud noise, and so uh, this is actually a follow-up report to that. I should have pointed that out, Matt, before I turned it over. That's my fault. The scientists based at uh, Scripps Institute of Oceanography in La Jolla, in La Jolla say that this disturbance was caused by a sound wave that started over the ocean and petered over the Imperial County Desert. Using data from more than two dozen Size, uh, seismometers. They traced its likely <laughs> origin that, to a spot roughly 120 miles off the San Diego coast. That spot is in the general vicinity of Warning Area 291, a large swath of ocean used for military training exercises. The Navy operates a live fire range on San Clement Island, which is within Warning Area 291 and it's about 65 miles from Mission Bay. Uh, re- researchers also have uh, have charted dozens of similar, if less drastic, incidents that seem to have originated in the same general area of the ocean. They aren't sure what caused what caused any of them. An earthquake was quickly eliminated as the cause. Meteor activity too was ruled out. The Scripps research believed the disturbance was the result of a low-frequency wave 
that traveled through the air at the speed of sound as it moved from the ocean to the desert. It was picked up by more than two, two dozen seismometers in San Diego and east, eastern Riverside counties. Well, that is, uh, doesn't really uh, clear up the problem, though, does it? You know, it's, it's still not quite the answer we're looking for. So we'll stay on top of this story for you, and we'll see what else we can dig up uh, as these stories come across the wire. And if you find anything that you would like to submit for us for the Week in Weird, please uh, post it on our message board on SpookySouthCoast.com. We have a room uh, set up just for Week in Weird stories, and you can get them to us that way. So we're going to take a quick break, and we want to hear from you on the other side. Your questions for Brian Harnwa from Taps and Ghost Hunters, 508-996-0500, or on SpookySouthCoast.com. Be right back. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Alive. It's alive. It's alive. Hey, you know, did you ever hear that story about uh, the time Edgar Winter uh, actually went into a haunted house? No. Yeah, Edgar Winter uh, went in with some of the members of his band to a supposedly haunted house, and and then he came running out, and they're like, What'd you see, Edgar? You're white as a ghost. Okay. Albino jokes. They're not funny. All right. Hey, I can see clearly now. Anyway, we are going to get back into our interview right now with uh, Brian Harnwa from Taps and from Ghost Hunters, and we welcome you to call in 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape if you'd like to call in. And Brian, you still with us? I'm here. All right, excellent. And uh, we have some questions that were posed for you on our message board on SpookySouthCoast.com. All right, hit me up. All right, Mary M. Uh, would like to know if you... Her first question is, if you recommend any books on shadow ghosts, I think she might mean like shadow people, maybe? Uh, actually, I, just, I, I was actually reading your site on the uh, break and actually read that, uh, that uh, email, the, uh, the post itself, so it's pretty funny. Um, actually, you know what? There's really not a lot of books, a lot of good books out there right now for shadow people. Uh, especially the shadow people that we catch, the three, the like three and half, four foot ghosts that we seem to be catching since the beginning of Ghost Hunters. Um, there's really nothing that I've read out there that actually has anything like a like a really good definition of a shadow person. Um, there's there's been a few nonfiction and fiction books out there, but to really to really say it, I've never really read one that had a lot of good stuff about shadow people in them. Now I have to warn our science advisor, Matt Moniz, to play nice here. But are, are you familiar with the work of Heidi Hollis? No, actually not. Okay, you can, you can check out her, her website, uh, ufotu.com. But she actually put out a book uh, about what she thinks the shadow people are. And cool. um, she believes they're tied into the UFO phenomenon. Oh, see, that's, that's, uh, 
I never even heard of it, so I'll, I'll do it. I'll check it out. See, that was my own opinion. I never really read anything that was really good, so it might be something that uh, it's just it's a, worthwhile to check out. It's a different. It's a different aspect. I mean, I myself, I, I. I Disagree. I think uh, shadow people are probably more demonic in nature, or that's what I figure. Yeah, or, or I mean, they could be tied into the spirit world, but I don't think you know it's somebody that's passed on. I think it's something that exists outside of humanity. Exactly. And exactly. May, maybe controlling spirits. Maybe it has you know an oppressive power over just your regular common uh, human entity. Yeah, definitely. And the way the way I look at it is everything's still a theory. And you know it could be it could be anything uh, it could be anything from UFOs to you know to demonic entities and until we have scientific proof of what they are, I, I love to hear all kinds of theories because it actually helps me learn more about the, the, the different aspects of the paranormal itself. And Mary also would like to know if Taps is going to return for further investigation to the Savannah Brewery. Well, you know what? Um, I hope so. I hope we do. Uh, actually, there, there's. Uh, we actually went uh, went through there a couple of uh, a few months ago to actually um, go down to St. Augustine, Florida, for the lighthouse, and uh, we actually went and dined at the brewery again. And he said that from like the next day after it aired, there was people running in and trying to see the ghost. And <laughs> I I wanted to go back down there and check it out because that place was just awesome. The only thing is we got, we can't do it in the summer because those top three floors are like an oven. So hopefully we'll get to do it like. Next September, October, if we ever go back there, because I'd love to go back there and check that place out again. All right. And uh, an Eagles Angel, who is a, a dedicated poster on our message board, she's had some experiences in the past, and she considers herself to be a ghost magnet. And she wants to know what your theory is on these ghost magnets, these people that just tend to draw in paranormal activity. Well, you know, my theory is that a lot of people have a lot of different, like, not even an aura, like, like an energy base around them that... For some reason, ghosts just seem to see better than other people. And they just, like, I don't know if they're attracted to them or if they're, like, it's like a moth with a flashlight in the middle of a swamp. You know, if you put a flashlight in the middle of a dark area, the moth's going to go to it, you know, go to it because it's what it sees. And my theory is that there are some people that are very sensitive, very, um, I wouldn't say psychic, but very uh, sensitive toward the energy, and the ghosts actually get attracted to them. And you know, there's, there's, I don't, I don't know why. I, I've never really, um, I haven't really delved into that much uh, with the whole ghost magnet thing. But I've, we've had cases where, you know, the, the person everywhere they move, they, they have paranormal activity, and it's not because they're going into all these haunted houses. It's just that if they're so, you know, magnetic, the energy is so, so strong with them, they just attract them. And it's like it's, it's cool for us because we're going there and all heck will break loose. But it's not cool for them because everywhere they go, there, you know, they, they get. Stuff that happens to him. And we, and we had Kristen Gartland on in the past, and, and of course you work very closely with her. Yes. And she thinks that she might be one of these uh, might be. people that draw these in. She might be, and, and it's, it's true. You know, she could be one of the ones that, and we've gone to a couple cases, you know, for her, you know, for her and her child. And it's, yeah, you know, I, I, I'll say that she probably is. <laughs> and that's one question that I wanted to ask you, and I know that, uh, you know, we're not really going to focus on on uh, some of the the drama that's happening on Ghost Hunters, but when she um, was talking to you in the library mm-hmm. uh, a couple episodes ago, yeah. and uh, she's talking to you while she's talking to you, Jason, Grant, and Steve are listening to every word. Mm-hmm. Uh, did she set you up? Was that a setup? I don't think so. I okay. think she just wanted to talk, and um, they you know, just happened to be listening. In. They just happened. Well, see, Steve was done in, uh, done investigating, and you know, and Jason and Grant were done, so they were just like central command and it just so happened that the the volume was on the lap uh, on the laptop was up so 
They heard everything. And I, and I know, you know, this is this is your life and this is things that happen to you, but for the viewer, I mean, it's things like that that just, is, it's what makes Ghost Hunters, you know, what it is because, you know, here they are in, in the middle of this intense investigation and, you know, and you're talking about these situations that have arisen and then they do a cut shot to the three of them all eavesdropping. And yeah. it's just, it, it just shows you that, you know, even though they're out there and they're having, you know, all this activity happen, that they're still loose and they're keeping their, you know, their laid-back attitude about things. Well, of course. And I didn't even know that happened until I saw the show. <laughs> I didn't even know they were sitting there watching me. He's like, that's kind of weird. Do they try to keep you out of the editing process? Is that how it goes? They just... uh, well, we, you know, they, they, they edit everything in L.A. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it'd be hard for us to, um, you know, try to get into the editing process. And Jason has, you know, put down his, his, ground, his groundworks to where, okay, you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do that. And they've, they've abided, abided by it, and they haven't, you know, strayed from it. So we don't, we don't mind what they, they put in there. And they've been, they've been like, you know, I even told them, like, when the, if we have a next season, the next season starts up. I'm like, no more drama with Brian. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. I've, got, I've had enough. It's, it's over with. It's, I'm back with the group. I've made my apologies, my amends to everybody. And whoever out there in TV world doesn't like me, well, you know, I'll keep watching because you like everybody else. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, too, is... Uh, you know, trying to, like I said before, trying to create these characters of of reality television. People watch it and they don't take into account that you know you are a real person. Exactly. And you know you don't want to keep having to dig this kind of stuff up. Of course, and it's like even people on the message boards have message boards and stuff saying, "I stink and I hate Brian and this and that." Like, yeah. And I look at them I'm like, I have no clue who you are. I'm like, how can you say that you hate me or dislike me when you don't even know me? I'm like, come on, that's just that'd be like me saying, you know, I dislike some celebrities. Don't get me wrong. But that'd be me like me seeing, seeing somebody on TV for the first time and saying, I hate him. Why? There's no reason to. You don't, you don't know the person, so I can't say that, you know? It'd be stupid. And it's, it's more about what it is that you're doing. You're investigating the evidence that you can capture. That's what the exactly. show is about. That's, that's, that's all I want to do. I want to just go out there and hunt and investigate with Steve and have a ball and catch evidence, even though evidence review is the most boring thing in the world. But you know, it's it's just I loved I loved it, the thrill of the hunt. It's the best well, thing. You in got the, world. the boss to help you out a little bit on this week's episode. Uh, you know, actually, we had a, we had a, a yeah, it was uh, kind of weird. Like having him walking in there and you know grabbing a, a digital recorder, an analog recorder. I'm like, okay, so less for us to do, so that works. So <laughs> it was funny. It, was, it works for me. It was stuff that we have to do it better. I know it's always a little bit intimidating, even no matter what the relationship. It's always a little bit intimidating when the boss comes up and and is just hanging around with you and watching well, everything. That's why he even said he goes. You guys usually this quiet. And I'm thinking to myself, no. <laughs> but it, you, yes, we are. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, we have another question from uh, from the message board. Steph wants to know, uh, and it sounds almost like she's having uh, an issue herself. Okay. She wants to know if there's. Uh, Cases where there is an object that has a, a spirit attached to it or a bad energy attached to it. Oh, of course, all the time. Uh, actually, there's uh, a couple of people that are uh, very knowledgeable in the field. Uh, Al Tyus from DC Mag, he collects haunted dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's had things happen to him in the house after he's had them. And even John Zaffis, uh, personal friend of Taps, uh, he, uh, he has a whole museum of stuff, that are, the stuff that's haunted. And uh, I, got, I had actually was very lucky to go uh, visit that uh, museum at one point. And uh, I tell you what, I mean, we've had many character, many times where we'll go to, you know, we'll go to a uh, investigation, and we'll find out it's a haunted object. And when you, when you, right when you take that doll or that object out of the house, everything stops. And it's like we usually what we usually do is we usually take it and burn the thing. But 
like Al and, and John Zaffis, they, they actually want them. They actually collect them and stuff. And it's like, okay, here you go. You can have yeah, it. Exactly. You know, we don't want it. <laughs> when, we, when we had John on, he talked about how, you know, he takes these uh, items out of the house and brings them home and saves them. But uh, Steph wants to know uh, if the objects can actually be cleansed. Oh, definitely. Um, it, it depends on what, it does, I don't think it really matters what religion you are. But if you bring, you know, if you're Jewish or you're, you're, you know, you're Catholic or you're uh, Protestant, uh, uh, you know, anything. Um, if you bring, if you really want the thing cleansed, you bring it to your the clergy that you have, and they they'll bless it and stuff. And there's there's been many times where the uh, the the property, whatever it was, has been cleansed and the spirit's been you know exercised from it. All right, well, we're going to take another quick break. Okay. And on the other side, we welcome your calls, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, uh, Brian, I believe that you said you had uh, some magazines that you could give away yes. to callers. Yes, I have, uh, I have a bunch of magazines to give away and then a, uh, a TAPS T-shirt, a TAPS Paramag T-shirt, too. So. All right, so uh, you, you know what to do. You just have to call in. You have to have a question for Brian. You have to really bring it. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, or on the message board on SpookySouthCoast.com. We will be right back in just a few minutes. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. <laughs> Matt, did you make that? I did. You made that? I did. You didn't steal that from somebody else. You made that. I did. I made it. We're going to have to start paying this guy. That is quality. I'm, I'm very impressed. Now I feel like uh, I feel like I have to bring it now. Well, that, of course, was the strains of the great Blue Oyster Cult. And, of course, they'll be coming to the city of New Bedford in August for the Portuguese feast. The, the closing night of the feast, they'll be the main headline act. Hell, we, we'll be there. We'll be down there. And uh, I'm going to bring Cowbell so we can play along with Don't Fear the Reaper. And uh, well, who knows, maybe we can even get Godzilla to show up. But uh, for right now, uh, we are talking to Brian Harnois from Taps and from Ghost Hunters. Uh, are you still with us, Brian? I'm still here, man. Just oh. chilling. We always, we always get a little bit nervous talking about the paranormal. You never know. Oh, no, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'll be here for the whole long haul of it. Okay. Well, if anything if anything bothers you, you're going to have to call and help uh, being laid up and all. So. <laughs> I think we have another call on the line waiting to speak with you. All right. Sounds good. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Um, I have a question for Brian Hanwa. Okay. I'd like to know about the uh, dancing lady of uh, One Socket Cemetery. Is this Keith? <laughs> yeah, this is Keith. <laughs> What's up, brother? How did you know? <laughs> All right, come on. You can't tell me. You can't hide your voice to me, man. It's, it's getting even... harder and harder, Keith, for you to, for you to hide know, your I... voice. 
I'm going to have to suck helium, I think. Well, you know what it is, is he hears you, you know, blessing these houses all the time, so he just hears your voice probably in his sleep. I've I've heard his voice for six years now. He could could even try to muffle it, it ain't going to (laughs) work. He got Kristen, though. He did get Kristen. Did he? For a few minutes, yeah. Yeah, Wait, 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 wait. I'm like, this sounds like Keith, but I I, I didn't want to say nothing yet because it could have been Carl, so I'm like... Making sure it's Keith and not, and then you said Dancing Lady around. I'm like, that's Keith. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that was actually a pretty good uh, little investigation. Um, we had this uh, this cemetery, and actually I took Keith up to, to see the cemetery, uh, Precious Blood Cemetery in Woonsocka, Rhode Island. And um, the cool thing about the cemetery is there's a big, big mausoleum kind of building right in the middle of it. And uh, it's got, like, the Roman, the, the Roman cathedral pillars and stuff. It's really, really awesome. And uh, we were walking through there one night, and uh, actually Heather was with us. And uh, we were walking through there, and we get to this, like, like overlook, like a, like a little hill that's on the cemetery, and it overlooks, like, the, the, the Blackstone River. And I'm looking, and it looked like the shadow was actually being cast from the top where we were all the way into the, into the, the river. And it was a lady dancing. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And both of us were sitting there looking at it. We couldn't believe that it was happening. And she was flailing her arms around, and she was spinning around. I'm looking for, like, a flag or something, because it kind of reminded me of, like, a flag blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. Looking around, there's no flags anywhere. I'm making sure there's no flags flying in the cemetery. There was, wasn't anything. And it was just, and the thing was, the really weird thing was, it looked like it was the shadow coming from a tree, because it was actually connected to the tree that was sitting there. I'm like, I couldn't figure it out. I'm, like, looking around, and there was no way that this was going to be, you know, there's no way that the tree was making it look like a, a, there was actually a lady in a dress dancing in, you know, a shadow in the river. So the next day, I come back there because I'm, I'm baffled, and you look at the tree, and inside the tree actually grew around a cemetery stone. You can just barely see the cemetery stone still sticking out of the tree a little bit. Hmm. And it just really it freaked me out because I tried, I tried to take pictures, and I took four different pictures of the, of the dancing lady, and every single one of them came out black on the film. It, would not, it did not get exposed. Well, That's right. It wouldn't let you film it, would it? Exactly not. And I was, I was, I was mad when I got the photos back. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm going to catch this thing, and it's going to be, you know, astronomically awesome. And I get back, and there's four blank pictures. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, Come from, on. From what I understand, even in death, those Woonsocket women are, are partiers. I'm telling you. Yeah. Straight so up. Doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> you know, there's actually a stigmatist buried in that cemetery. There is. Yep, I forgot her name now, but she's uh, actually... Rose... What is it? Rose Perrin? Yes, yes, she's actually at the... Uh, her body's actually at the Vatican now. Yep. Being, uh, she, she might be... She's being looked at for sainthood. How, how long ago was that, was that occurrence? Uh, this one? Oh, God. Um, what was that, four or five years ago, Keith? What's the, uh, the, the dancing, dancing lady or the stigmatist? The, the, the lady. Oh, that, that was uh, five, five years ago, yeah. yeah. Four or five years ago, yeah. Yep. And, and the stigmatist was... She died in the 1930s. 1930s. Yeah, she died in the 30s, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it would be interesting. We'll have to check that out and see uh, what we can find out to follow up on that. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, I mean, every single time I go there, there's, there's, I get, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, paranormal activity. I had the, the, um, the EVP with, with, uh, with Keith, with the, uh, the EVP of the demon or whatever it was. Remember that, Keith? Oh, yes. We definitely. Saw the, uh, the inhuman there, too. Yeah, we saw the, uh, there was a cat that was gutted, and I'm like... What the heck am I? This is gross. And what did it say, Steve? Uh, Keith, because you had the uh, you had the, the tape. I don't. Yeah, they, we actually got an EVP. It was we saw this cat that had been uh, apparently sacrificed and mutilated, and um, of course we're making a big deal of it. I played the tape back. We hear a voice whispering in the background. Good people. What's a dead cat? 
Wow. It was, it was crazy. It really was. It was like well, something was circling around there still, uh, probably from the uh, whoever sacrificed it. Probably. And that's a, a pretty powerful uh, spirit to manifest, you know, that many words, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes, that's why when he played it back, I'm like, there's no way. You know what I mean? I'm like, come on. And he's like, seriously? And he played it back, I'm like, that's creepy. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, well, creepy and awesome at the same time. I mean, that's unfortunately the way everything goes. Yeah, exactly. that's true. And plus, I actually went back there. Um, remember I told you the uh, the house I was living with the five roommates? I actually took one of my roommates back to that cemetery uh, about two years ago. And uh, I had I had some of the TAPS equipment with me, and I had my digital thermometer. And we couldn't figure this out because it was about a 45, 50-degree night. And in one certain part of the cemetery, it was actually going down to about 17 degrees on the thermometer. And we could not figure out what was making it go down to 17 degrees. And... You go down to 17, 16, back up to 20, back down to 16. And I, I scratched my head for like half an hour. And it, every time I pointed in that certain part of the cemetery, it went down to almost, you know, like below freezing. So it, was, it really was weird. I had a lot of weird experiences in that cemetery. Oh, yeah. I've been in that cemetery twice, and both times I've gotten EVTs. It, it's, it works for me. If I can go into a place, like I don't usually do the cemetery thing anymore because, you know, it's just... It just makes no sense. Right, well, it makes exactly. Sense, I agree. I mean, but yeah. uh, it's like, plus you don't want to get in trouble by the law and stuff. Yeah, that uh, place is watched by the neighbors, too. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, but every time I've gone in there, I've caught stuff. And it just, hey, I can go into a cemetery and catch something, you know, within 20, 25 minutes. I'm, I'm a happy man. <laughs> That's what happened to us last week. It was just, we really only had a few minutes in there. And uh, to have found an EVP in there, or what appears to be an EVP, so quickly. But, I mean, hey, there's no better place to find dead people than a cemetery. Exactly. Hey, also, I'd like to thank Brian for helping in the class last night in Boston. I did? Yeah. How did I help? Well, we're there, you know, as uh, Mike, Dion, Kristen, you know, with, uh, yeah. and uh, Sandra and myself doing the uh, Boston class with New England Paranormal. It was mm-hmm. a good turnout. It went very well. Good. And at the very end, um, well, Brian wasn't there in person. He doesn't know this, but at the very end, uh, I inserted a videotape, and I said, and on the last note, I want Brian Hanwha is going to give you an example on how not to do spirit photography. <laughs> oh, put the tape in. You guys have seen this, too. Come on now, dude. I put the tape in, and it uh, shows you taking a picture of yourself because you had the camera turned the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Berkshires, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good case. That was a yeah, good, that really case. good. I couldn't, I couldn't see anything in the first place. I didn't know the camera was backwards. I was like, oh, come on. Well, it came out with two large, large orbs, didn't it, that turned out to be your eyes? Yeah, my eyeballs. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, great. Right, yeah. I, was, I, was blind. I was blind for about a half an hour. Yeah, you were seeing orbs after that. Oh, yeah, a few of them. Any EVPs you captured in that room would have uh, had words in them that would be unerrable. So. Oh, yeah. Trust me. Trust very me. true. Very true. <laughs> Well, uh, and Keith, you know, uh, actually, I think you're technically ineligible to win one of the prizes that Brian has given away for calling in. So, hey, uh, sorry to inform you of that. That's that. all right. You know, <laughs> my my battery, my 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 cordless phone is dying. Can I give you a call back in like two seconds? Absolutely. All right, it's so the same number. Uh, yeah, sure. All right, I'll be right right back. Okay. Right. And and of course, Keith, as we always say when we have you on, this is what happens. Yeah. There's always these paranormal activities, and now the spirits are sucking down his battery power. Yeah, I just seem to draw energy. I don't know what it is, but. <laughs> well, we have a, another call here, so maybe uh, Keith, you can field it until uh, Brian comes back in. Sure, I'll be glad to. Okay. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. Oh. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Good. How you doing? All right. It's me and Eagles Angel. Oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. All right. Well, we, you are on with Keith Johnson right now. I am. Yes. Well, Brian uh, had to get off the phone for a second. He'll be calling us right back. Here he comes. All right. Now we'll put all three of you together. It's like you're all in the same room. Still with us, Brian? I'm here. Yes, thank you. Sorry. Okay. 
So here you go. Any questions you have, now would be the time to ask because you, you can't talk to two more knowledgeable people. Well, that's great. Um, well, you guys were talking about photography, and uh, I see on the show a lot everybody's, you know, flashing off the pictures. Does anybody work with any, you know, no flash, low light settings at all in the group? Uh, I know Steve does. Steve actually has a 35-millimeter uh, camera that he brings along with us, and a lot of times you won't see it on the show for some reason. They never show it. But he's got the camera with us, and he takes a lot of uh, low-light, no-light, 35-millimeter, uh, 800-speed uh, uh, film. And, uh, you know, we really have never caught anything with the film for some reason. We never catch anything more than orbs and stuff like that. And, of course, Jason and Grant are just going to throw those out the window anyways. Mm. So it's like it, we take a lot of pictures. We take a, a total of, like, 50 to 100 pictures a night. And it's, Yeah, we, we've actually... Um People have criticized the show because they say we're not taking pictures, but actually we are all the time just because it doesn't time. show it. You know, I mean, I got archives and archives of thousands of pictures that we've taken, and it's like, it's like we have the proof that we take them. It's just that the editing, I guess, I guess I don't know why they never show us taking pictures, but we they just never do. But hey, we we do so. Steve should take, still be using that camera, though, because you never know when something's going to walk right in front of it, when you least expect it. Oh, exactly. Well, we, we bring it along with us, and he does use a lot of low-light or no-light um, uh, pictures. He uses a lot of that uh, photography. So we, we, I usually use the flash because I, you know, I, um, for some reason my camera never wants to focus at night, so I just use the flash. <laughs> But I, I agree. Like a really slow speed film is uh, is really recommendable for, especially for spirit photography. Although any kind of camera will work. Um, I make you know like I usually use thirty five millimeter four hundred to eight hundred speed. Um, but you're absolutely right about uh, the kind of camera that Steve's using and the low lighting is, uh, can be very very effective. Oh, definitely very very effective. We we've caught a lot of different orbs and stuff like that. But of course, you know. Uh, Jason and Grant throw those out anyway, so we, we don't even show them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't actually go for orbs. Well, and, and I'm we don't trying usually, to get more than that. Yeah, we don't usually go for orbs unless you know, it gives off all the characteristics of an orb, and even then, we've had a few times where we've caught something, and Grant's like, nah, it's nothing. Like, Come on, give me a little credit here. <laughs> well, even if it is a true orb, doesn't mean necessarily mean there's a spirit. Oh, of course not. It's, it's, you know, bald energy. You know, that's all it is. You know, they've they've uh, manifested orbs in scientific you know labs. So, I got a question for you, Brian. Sure, go ahead. Uh, have you guys ever done any time lapse photos? In other words, leave the shutter open in a room for an extended period of time to see if anything has happened with that type of uh, imagery? You know, I don't think we've ever done that. I, no, I personally have never done that. I've heard of it being done with some uh, very good results. But. Yeah, we were always open for new ways of experimenting or trying to catch anything. Any way we can catch a ghost is fine with me. Yeah, and, uh, I've never used a gentleman that in uh, Pennsylvania that's uh, experimenting with stereoscopic photography. Yep. Remember that? It's uh, um, one in uh, Patty Wilson's group. A man, uh, I don't think he's in, in her group, but she knows him. Yeah. And uh, he's actually doing some... Uh, Stereoscopic photography, where like it's three dimensional, which those kind of cameras were very popular back in the uh, 1950s. In fact, my parents had their wedding done in stereoscopic photography, and it was supposed to catch on, and it never did. You know, like many 50s fads. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's actually working with it to photograph uh, spirit anomalies and you know true orbs, and uh, to try to show like the the distance, because then you've got the background and the foreground both, because you're taking two separate pictures. From a slightly different angle, angle, and therefore it comes out three-dimensional. Definitely, this might be oversimplifying it, but is the stereoscopic photography like akin to a viewmaster? 
Very similar. Yeah, it's yeah, very, exactly. very similar along the same lines, actually. Exactly, really along the same lines. That's 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 really really uh, close. Except I don't think you get like a Batman or the Human Adventures in this. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't get that. No. I actually, I actually did have one of uh, Ghostbusters, so you know, no, it, it all ties in together somehow. I might have had that one. I really do. I think I had a Viewmaster uh, Ghostbusters set. Well, we'll have to try and dig one up uh, on eBay or something. Yeah, definitely. Probably won't too much money for me anyway. So, well, yeah. I, I had a Viewmaster of uh, the Green Hornet. So <laughs> there you go. That's so far back I go. You know. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we thank you for your question. Okay. I'm wondering uh, also when's Keith going to have uh, some classes down in our area? Uh, where are you located? Um, I'm down here in New Bedford. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll probably be back there in July. Oh, awesome. I think it's, I'm not sure, but I think it's July 28th. But um, you can go on uh, you know, my website, the uh, NEAR website, New England Anomalies Research, which is com. And just click on the calendar, and it will show you when, when we definitely have that uh, class uh, arranged. I think it's um, July 28th, but, but uh, yeah, we will be back there, sure. And I, I, just, I just got the new South Coast Learning book in the mail. Once they start taking reservations for the class, we'll start letting people know about it right away because, I mean, if it's anything like last time, that room filled right up. So. Wow, really? It was a great class, by the way, Keith. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. I really appreciate it, and I, I really appreciate you being there. Thank you for having us. Yes, yeah. thank you. Well, it'd definitely be interesting going. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks for having me again, and it was great talking to everyone. Nice talking right. with you. Talking to you, too. Have a great night, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. She is, uh, she's wonderful. She's been very good uh, about bringing up some subjects on our, on our message board that you know people might not generally talk about. She had a lot of experiences herself, and now she's trying to figure out um, just how they happen to her. Oh, awesome. That, that's what usually piques somebody's interest. They have something that they just can't explain happened to them or somebody they know. And it happened to me, so, yeah. Well, what exactly, uh, Brian, was the impetus for you to get into this field? The whole catalyst? Uh, well, I was uh, sleeping at my friend's house one night, um, and he, he had bunk beds, and we were in there, and he's a big horror freak, so we had all the horror posters across the room and stuff, and uh, we were just, you know how kids are when you're 11, 12, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. You don't go to bed right away when the parents tell you to go to bed when you're sleeping over someone's house, because that's just not what you do. And uh, we're talking just, you know, talking about stupid things, and uh, I look up, I actually look down, and a full-body apparition walked right, right through one wall, walked right through the room into the other wall. And I I didn't think I saw that what I saw, and then I asked Josh, and he said yes, and all of a sudden we're running out of the room and going to the parents' room, and I guarantee, like guarantee you one thing, I did not sleep in that room that night, I can say that much. <laughs> well, uh... It, it's it's strange the different stories that people have of of what gets them into it, and you know the depending on how deep they are into the paranormal, you can kind of relate that to their initial experience. You know, if you've seen an apparition, if you've had something that strong, you're usually more into it. But then you have some people that are like, well, I heard some noises I couldn't explain, so you know, I'm I'm a little bit interested in it. But I mean, sometimes when it just gets up and smacks you in the face like that, you can't turn away from that point. Exactly. Yep, that's true. All right. Well, we would like to. Uh, uh, tell everybody just real quick before we run out of time about uh, an upcoming tour that's taking place on the Cape. It's the Capers Tour, created by Derek Bartlett, the founder of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. It's the Haunted History Tour, a spine-tingling walk through the ghostly past of Barnstable Village, where you will hear stories of ghosts, mysterious vanishings, smuggling, and the history that makes this quaint New England village unique. 
The evening includes a two-hour walking tour of the village's haunted locations, and participants will visit places such as Cape Cod's most haunted building, the Barnstable House, formerly Captain Gray's Inn, Cobbs Hill Cemetery, and many others. The tour has proven to be popular with ghost enthusiasts and history buffs alike. We, of course, they never guarantee that anything paranormal will occur while you're on the tour, but you never know. Strange things have happened in the past, and it may be a chance to meet some of the former inhabitants of Barnstable Village. So these public tours are offered throughout the spring, summer, and fall, and uh, tickets go on sale. Uh, they're actually already on sale. They only book 35 people uh, per tour per night, so you want to get your reservation in early. You can call 508-224-7321 or visit capers.com. That's C-A-I-P-R-S dot com. We'll have a link up to it on SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, I don't know if you guys are, Keith or Brian, if you're familiar with a lot of the haunted uh, history of Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhat familiar. Oh, yeah, a little bit somewhat, yeah. I mean, it's... You know, as we always say, it's surrounded by water, so that helps uh, in a lot of the activity. But, you know, just this whole area from, you know, you guys down in Rhode Island all the way up here, it's just, you know, between the Puritan past and, you know, King Philip's War even before that, this place yeah. is just psychically charged. And exactly. exactly. It's, it's, it's great that people like yourselves are here in this area trying to figure out what's going on. That's what we, that's that's what what we have. Palatine for. Lights from the uh, ship Palatine that, uh, you know, that's a very famous uh, Block Island haunting and... Uh, yeah, we're very, very rich in this uh, spooky history. Oh, definitely. That's what we're here for. We're here to, uh, we're here to try to uh, make uh, positive proof of uh, the theories around here. All right. Well, we thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. And, of course, everybody, check out Keith's site, uh, near.s5.com, and, of course, the AtlanticParanormalSociety.com. And be sure to watch Ghost Hunters Wednesday nights at 9 on the Sci-Fi Channel. Definitely. And I'll get uh, in touch with you in the next... Uh, even if after the show you want to give me a call, we'll figure out uh, for the magazines and the T-shirt and whoever won them and stuff like that. Yeah, I think we, we should uh, hand those out to the people on the message board that were kind enough to, to post on there. Exactly. So. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, guys, and uh, we look forward to having you both in the studio in the future. Great. Well, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I'll definitely be stopping by uh, in the near future. I just uh, had a little tinge of the back today, so uh, you know, had to postpone a few things. All let's, right. let's make it. Uh, let's make it a date. Brian and I will be there in the studio very soon. That'll work for me. All right. Sounds good, guys. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Okay. Take care, guys. And that was Keith Johnson and Brian Harnwa of Taps and Ghost Hunters. We're uh, just about out of time, but uh, before we go, we want to say a big hello out in California to Sergeant Nicholas T. Roberge. He is a South Coast resident out there uh, doing some service. So we want to say hello to him. Thanks for listening out there. We'll see you when you get home. So, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We'd like to thank Keith and Brian for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Stay spectacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.
first with local news, talk, and sports. This is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcasting, AM 1420, WBSM.